are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. This is what the Lord says, I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city, and the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each of them with cane in hand because of their age. The city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. This is what the Lord Almighty says. It may seem marvelous to the remnant of this people at that time, but will it seem marvelous to me, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will save my people from the countries of the east and the west. I will bring them back to live in Jerusalem. They will be my people, and I will be faithful and righteous to them as their God. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Now hear these words. Let your hands be strong so that the temple may be built. This is also what the prophets said who were present when the foundation was laid for the house of the Lord Almighty. Great. Thanks, Barb. There's something about turning the calendar to 2020 that has us thinking ahead, not just to a new year, but a new decade. I've been thinking, you know, what will these next 10 years hold for me? And maybe you've been thinking about the same thing. Where will I be the next time when it turns to 2030? A decade is a pretty significant amount of time, 10 years. And so it's with anticipation that as a church we're looking forward to this year celebrating our 10th birthday, double digits. And on Sunday morning, February 9th, we are going to celebrate here in worship together. Now I figure if anybody knows how to throw a good party, it's got to be kids. And so I just wanted to check with the kids this morning and see if we're on track with some good party ideas for February 9th. So, who thinks that we should have a birthday cake? Yes, on birthday cake, all right. How about who thinks we should have lots of balloons? Very good. And here's one Pastor Sonia was wondering, who thinks we should have party hats? She also suggested noisemakers, but we convinced her to leave that one alone. So whatever we end up doing, and some of those things are on our list, we hope you can be here February 9th as we celebrate Uh, But beyond a party, something that we've been discerning in 2019, looking forward to this milestone, is how do you celebrate it in a spiritual way? Because anybody can throw a party, and we will, that'll be fun, but how do we mark this occasion in a spiritual sense? We thought and prayed about that in 2019, and as many of you know, we found a very meaningful way to celebrate. And so to celebrate our 10th birthday and to give honor to the Lord, we're going to build a church and YMCA in South India. They call it a life center. I want to show you a picture of what that will look like in the interior. And it will bring the good news of Jesus and the community center of a Y to a people who have never had it before. And so we're going to build a church slash YMCA. And construction will begin in a couple months in March. And then we'll send over a small delegation in July for the ribbon cutting and dedication of the building. In addition to the Life Center, 
Our leadership team, as we discerned this, said we also want to dig a well. That was one of the options to add on so that the whole surrounding community can come to this life center and outside have access to clean, fresh water. And we'll dedicate that as well when we're there and invite people to come not only to the well, but also that they would know the wellspring of life and be introduced to Jesus and drink from the living water that he gives. And I held off from sharing more. We have the pastor's story and how he came to faith and the first believer in that village. And so we'll share more in the coming weeks. But that is how we're going to celebrate. And it is the vision that God has given us for 2020. That's why our message series for the next couple of months, the, the first two months of the year, is called 2020 Vision. Because God has given us this vision to build his church on earth, and because this is a year for us to seek his vision for our lives. So 2020 vision is not a reference to perfect vision. We, we don't have that. But simply a desire that God would give us clear vision. That we would see him more clearly over this coming year. That we would see how he's leading us and growing us and at work in our lives. In your life and my life, they're kind of like construction zones. My life certainly feels like a construction zone. Where God is building and rebuilding what has been under disrepair. So 2020 vision and this theme of building is going to carry us into this new year. We'll be here for eight weeks and we're going to study a place of scripture that talks about building. The books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Of course this morning we read from Zechariah and I'll tell you how he fits in in just a second. But Ezra and Nehemiah are lesser known parts of the Bible. They're Old Testament history books that are from about 500 years before the birth of Christ. So it's the very end of the Old Testament era. And if you're familiar with some of the arc of the Old Testament, the story that happens, you'll remember there's this downward spiral where God's people in the Old Testament are walking away from him and losing sight of him. And eventually they lose their land and they're taken over by the Babylonians. But they weren't just taken over. It also says that Jerusalem, their capital city, was destroyed and many, many people were carried off into exile as prisoners to Babylon. Well, what happened after that? That's going to lead us into Ezra and Nehemiah. They're in Babylon about 70 years, but then the Babylonians are taken over by the Persians. And there's a guy named King Cyrus of Persia, then who is the new guy in charge, and he allows the Israelites to go back to their homeland. So it's this incredibly joyful occasion, but also incredibly hard because the people are returning to a land that has been absolutely decimated. So there's no infrastructure, there's no economy, there is no security. It was a very vulnerable place to live as they went back. But God had brought them back to do his work of rebuilding. And so in Ezra, the focus is on rebuilding the temple, their place of worship, and then after about three weeks, we'll go into Nehemiah, where the focus is on rebuilding the city walls, which provided safety. Now this week, in week one, we'll begin in Zechariah, and here's the connection to all this. Zechariah was a prophet who was at work during the time of Ezra. And so was Haggai, for that matter. Some of these obscure books of the Bible, Haggai. I told my son Lennox earlier this week, I said, you know, maybe we should have named you Haggai. Because I think I maybe got this from my dad. That's how I often greet him when I come into the house or I see him. Hey, guy. A little different spelling, but I know it's a dad joke. That's probably a pastor dad joke, which is even worse. 
But in any case, the book of Haggai focuses on the physical rebuilding of the temple. And then listen to this. Zechariah's focus is on the spiritual rebuilding of the people. And so that's where we're going to start here in week one. And then next week we'll get into Ezra. Our message title today is A Vision for Rebuilding. And what I like to do is keep in mind two places of application during our study this morning. I'd like to apply the lessons of Zechariah both corporately and personally. The first Sunday of the year is the Sunday when we often talk about why the why. So that's our subtitle today. Why are we here? Why do we make the YMCA our home for 10 years and counting now? This is not just a place for us to start and then move out and get our own building or build a building. But we have said this is a place for us to stay. So we're going to remind ourselves of the YMCA story and why this makes sense. I know our setup team is like, why does this make sense? Every Sunday when we set up all these tables and chairs. But we're going to remind ourselves of why we don't just rent space here, but we live out our mission here. That's the corporate application. Beyond that, I think there's a very personal word in this passage for us as we begin the new year. And we don't want to miss what the Lord is saying to each one of us as we begin 2020. So Zechariah 8, follow along if you have it in front of you. You can fire up those reading lights if you need it this morning. Zechariah 8, you maybe notice there's this repeated phrase that Barb would say again and again in reading that to us. It's like a preface before each couple of sentences. Did you see it in the text? It comes up five times. You see it there in front of you? This is what the Lord says. That's the phrase. This is what the Lord Almighty says. It happens five times in just those few verses. That is really a description of what the prophets did. They weren't out there coming up with their own material, but they were simply passing along what the Lord had said to them to share with his people. And so here in Zechariah, God spoke to his people through Zechariah, first to ethnic Israel, that's the original application, but then by way of the new covenant and the cross, he is also speaking to us, to all those who are in his family through Christ. So we're going to use those five times that this comes up. This is what the Lord says as kind of markers to take us through the text this morning. And we'll begin then in verse 3. And here is the first occurrence. It says, this is what the Lord says. I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city. And the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. You see, that's the sense we get in Zechariah. Is that it's not just the people who are returning to Jerusalem. It's also the presence of God that's returning to the people. God is saying to his people, I'm coming back to you. I will return and I will dwell here again with you. And these words are powerful because of the Israelites had been so far gone from God in their relationship with him. That's why they'd lost the land to begin with. That's why for 70 years they'd been in Babylon because they'd walked away from God. And there are places in the Bible where Jerusalem is then called the unfaithful city. And so here we see this great reversal. It's so significant that it's now called the faithful city. And Jerusalem sat up in the hill country, this mountainous area. And the people, by the way they had walked away from God, had essentially desecrated this mountain. But now what does it say? It says this is going to be called a holy mountain. 
So the people are coming back. They're coming back not just to a land or city. That's the physical relocation that's happening. But most importantly, they're coming back to their relationship with God, and he will return to them. Let's look at the next one, starting in verse 4. Remember these five markers. This is what the Lord says. Once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each of them with cane in hand because of their age. The city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. Now, we have to do a little head work around this to picture this. I mean, I grew up with a mom who told me to not play in the street. But in their culture, it's flipped. Okay, so you didn't have cars zooming by and parents telling their kids to stay away from the road. The street was where everything happened. That is where you went to walk to the market and to catch up with your neighbors and for kids to play. And this passage pictures an idyllic city scene in their culture. But I want you to think about what would happen to that same street if it was a time of war or occupation or it had been destroyed like Jerusalem was. In those times, the city streets would be deserted. And the last people you would ever expect to see out on the streets would be the most vulnerable. And who are the most vulnerable? The elderly and the children. So here we have a picture from Zechariah envisioning the day when once again the streets of Jerusalem will be filled with people from senior citizens to boys and girls. And that picture, these verses, I read this earlier this fall and I thought, you know, that reminds me a lot of the YMCA. If you spend time here in this place, you will see all ages and stages of life walking through this building. The seniors will be often in the lobby. Isn't that right, Jim, Dick? A couple of them, you'll, you'll find them in the soft chairs with their cup of coffee and the newspaper and just conversation and friendship out there in the lobby. Or you'll find them in the community room where they'll be doing one of the silver sneakers fitness classes or working on their balance, those kinds of things. If they're younger retirees, you might find them here in the gym where they're going to be playing what game? Pickleball. Pickleball. At the same time, you can walk down that hallway all the way to the end to kid stuff, and you will see kid stuff just packed with kids during the day. Often during the week, there is this time of day, time of morning, when the stay-at-home moms arrive. And they drop off their kids at kid stuff just to get upstairs and do a group X class and to have some adult conversation for once. There's that time of day that we see every weekday here. And a Y membership comes with two hours of free childcare every day. It is such a blessing. But my point is this. From men and women of ripe old age all the way down to the youngest children and everybody in between, the Y is one of the great gathering points of our city. Maybe the great gathering point of our city. This is where people come to belong, come to be healthy, and to play. And though Zechariah was speaking of Jerusalem, I, I just couldn't help but picture the scene that plays out here every day at the YMCA. And here's why I share this. Don't miss this connection. Because we know, and we have said for 10 years, that the church is ultimately not a building. It's what? It's people. It's people. And that is why we are here. This is why we exist, to connect people to Jesus. And I can think of no better place in our community than to do that here at the YMCA.
Follow me to the third part of the passage. In the text, we're in verse 6. The third time, it says, This is what the Lord Almighty says. It may seem marvelous to the remnant of this people at that time, but will it seem marvelous to me, declares the Lord Almighty? Now, this was a spot in the passage to me that was a little bit more cryptic. I didn't quite get this one. I had to read it a few times. And then it started to come together. And let me share with you a paraphrase. This is the New Living Translation. The NLT puts it quite well. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. All this may seem impossible to you now, a small remnant of God's people. But is it impossible for me? This is what the Lord says. It reminds me of that great passage in Genesis 18. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too difficult? And the point in Zechariah is that God will rebuild with even this small remnant of people who are returning to him. It's hard to imagine, is what this says, but he can do it. And this is where I'd like to speak a little bit more to our YMCA, to the YMCA story and connect the dots. Because the YMCA has an incredible story, a history that is centered on Christ and a global mission that flows out of that identity. So let me remind you of the story. Maybe you'll hear it for the first time. In the early 1800s in England, there was a young farm kid. And here's a picture of his very farm. We had a group of students there this last summer. And so we took a picture in front of George Williams' farm. This, this kid growing up in rural England in a house of older brothers. And I know some of you kids have older brothers and sisters. And they can kind of be a pain, can't they? At least in our house, that's the way it goes. So George Williams has seven older brothers. And they beat up on him, and they don't look after him. And it turns out that George is really just not very helpful around the farm. He's high-strung. He's easily distracted. He's not very coordinated. He ends up being a liability on this farm. So one day it came to a head when he tipped over an entire hay cart, all these bales of hay, flew off of this path down the hill. And that for his parents was just the point where they pulled young George aside and they said, George, we believe you're gifted in something. It's just not farming. And so they sent him off to a nearby city called Bridgewater where he was going to learn a new job. And he learned the drapery trade, which in their time that was selling cloth and dry goods. By this time, George Williams was a teenager when he went to Bridgewater. And by his own description, he was a rough kid. He knew how to have a good time. He knew how to run his mouth. And he didn't have a spiritual thought in his brain. That's what he said. So he was living for the moment. But one day, somebody invited him to church. And reluctantly, you know, you can invite people to church. And sometimes they'll come and they'll come reluctantly. And that's okay. For some of us, that's our story. George Williams came reluctantly, and he sat in the back row, back maybe next to Phoebe, running projection this morning. So he's back there, not expecting much. But he said when the preacher opened up the Word of God, it was like an arrow went from the preacher's mouth to his heart in the back row. And that day, George Williams went back to his room, got down on his knees, and gave his life to Christ. And George said, we'll put this quote up on the screen for us. I first learned in Bridgewater to love my dear Lord and Savior for what he had done for me. We're going to take communion later. 
for what he had done for me. I was on the downward road. I said, cannot I escape? Is there no escape? And they told me in this town of Bridgewater how to escape. Confess your sins. Accept Christ. Trust in him. Yield your heart to the Savior. And he later said, I cannot describe to you the joy and peace that flowed into my soul when I first saw that the Lord Jesus had died for my sins and that they were all forgiven. That is clarity of vision, isn't it? I mean, that is 2020 vision coming into focus. And when George Williams saw it, his whole life changed. And he was now living a greater adventure than he ever imagined before. And you do know that, right? I want to speak especially to kids and young adults who are with us this morning. That if you are following Christ, that does not mean that life is boring. You do know that, right? You know that it doesn't ruin your fun if you're following Jesus. But quite the opposite. It actually expands the adventure of your life when you get to live for Christ. That's what George Williams discovered. After his training, he took a job, his first real job then in the city of London. And so here's a picture of our group again this past summer. Young men at this time in the early 1800s were flooding into the city looking for work, and George was one of them. He landed at a drapery factory, his trade, that employed about 140 young men. And you have to imagine horrible working conditions. So this is like Charles Dickens' era. This is what he's writing about. The men would work long, long hours, like 17-hour days, and they slept on site at the factory in these stuffed little dorm rooms. And so the men would get off after a 17-hour shift, and they'd either sleep or they might drink their misery away. And George Williams' life, he knew, had been no different just a couple years prior to that. He'd been on the same road, and his heart broke for his coworkers and friends around him. And he wrote in his diary... I found no means of grace of any kind. And I asked myself, what can I do for these young men? So what did he do? If you've been here in years past, we try to tell this story once a year. Remember what he did? Did he build a YMCA? He prayed. He prayed. Just name by name, he committed to daily praying for the friends and co-workers around him that they would come to know Jesus. And that is exactly what happened. One by one they did, so that after two years' time, it's an incredible move of God. Virtually every single worker in this factory of 140 young men had come to know Christ. And now George Williams wasn't alone, but this was happening. Men were coming to faith, and then they would gather and they'd pray together for co-workers. And they'd study the Bible and they would be discipled. So that in 1844, George and 11 other young men at that very factory, they founded the Young Men's Christian Association. And so last summer we went because there was an opportunity to celebrate the Y's 175th anniversary. And the Y held a conference and we followed in the footsteps of George Williams. And as we met in this location, we stood underneath this plaque That will really test your vision, I suppose. I'm going to read it for you. Here's what it says. Here in 1844, George Williams with 11 other young men employed in the city of London who shared his zeal and vision founded the Young Men's Christian Association 
in a drapery house on this site in which he worked and lived. This last line is critical. From its beginning in this place, inspired of God, the association grew to encompass the world. And it has. The Y now exists in 119 countries. But in too many places, and we share this with caution and humility, in too many places the YMCA has forgotten its own story. Somewhere along the way, especially in the United States, I think we should grieve this as our home country, the YMCA made this slight shift from Christian mission to character formation. And then somewhere along the way, this slight shift from character formation to an emphasis on camping and fitness. And not that any of those things aren't good. They are good. They're just not the main thing that the YMCA set out to be. And I want you to hear the global purpose statement of the Y. It's called the Paris Basis of 1855. And it remains in full effect, at least on paper, as the YMCA's mission statement. The Young Men's Christian Association seeks to unite those young men who, regarding Jesus Christ as their God and Savior, according to the Holy Scriptures, desire to be His disciples in their faith and in their life, and to associate their efforts for the extension of His kingdom amongst young men. There's only one update that's been made to that statement, and it's that the Y does not just serve young men anymore, but everybody who comes to the doors. That's a big sentence. Can I boil it down for us in summary? Here's what the Paris basis says. The YMCA exists to exalt Jesus, to be faithful to God's word, to make disciples, and to spread God's kingdom. And that is why we have made this place our home. Because we see this kind of mission statement in this kind of environment And as a church, we just want to say yes and amen to this. And and YMCA, how can we come alongside you and help you be successful in this? YMCA, we want to help you remember your story. In a sense, we get to be part of the spiritual remnant that is in the Y. Zechariah used that word, didn't he? Remnant. And we believe that though the YMCA has in many places and ways forgotten who it is, that God can rebuild it. That is not impossible for him to do, and we want to be there to see it happen. So back to Zechariah for the home stretch. Here's the fourth, the fourth section in the text. It begins again by saying, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Verse 7, I will save my people from the countries of the east and the west. I will bring them back to live in Jerusalem. They will be my people And I will be faithful and righteous to them as their God. This picture reminds us that God's people will come from every tribe and nation and tongue. The church that we're part of is a global church. And this is just our tiny sliver of it here in Elk River. One of the reasons that we feel like church planting in India is so important is that India is the world's second largest nation with 1.37 billion people. That is four times the number of people that are in the United States. And within this decade, in 2027, India is projected to overtake China as the biggest. But guess what percentage of India knows about Jesus 
and follows him. 2.3%. So India, we believe, is a strategic place to share the gospel and build the church. The Lord says he will save his people from the east and from the west. He will bring them back, and we want to be part of that. And that leads us to our final exhortation in Zechariah. It's in verse 9. Here it is, the fifth and final time. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Now hear these words. Let your hands be strong so that the temple may be built. This is also what the prophets said who were present when the foundation was laid for the house of the Lord Almighty. I love that line. That's why we emphasized it. Let your hands be strong. And this, I believe, is a personal word to each and every one of us. Let your hands be strong. Zechariah is encouraging the people to rebuild, to rebuild the temple, but even more so to rebuild their relationship with the Lord. That's where the most important work in their life and in our life can take place. And so the same is true for you and I today. And I want to ask you at the close of this message, what do you think that God would like to rebuild in your life in this new year? I'm a construction zone, and I just trust here I'm among good friends and company. Can you answer that question this morning? What would God like to rebuild in my life this new year? We've talked about the church and the YMCA where God is rebuilding, but what about you? What rebuilding is there to be done? What's been damaged that he can restore? What has fallen under disrepair that God would like to rebuild in you again? I want you to know this morning that it is never too late for rebuilding. Do you know that? Do you know that you cannot be too old that God can't rebuild something in you? You have never made too many mistakes that he can't bring you back? That's who God is. He is a rebuilder, a restorer, a repairer. And so my friends, as we enter this new year, I I say to you and to me, let your hands be strong. And cooperate and partner with what the Holy Spirit would like to do in you this year. Allow his good work to take shape in your life. And I'm going to pray for us. And I just feel on this first Sunday of 2020, in prayer, let's dedicate this new year to the Lord. Will you bow your heads with me? Lord, we stand upon the threshold of this new year and this new decade. And we say to you, Lord, that it is yours. Our time is in your hands. And we commit our lives to you this new year. Lord, some of us, we have found the things of 2019, they've followed us right into 2020. And some of us are facing very significant, very serious challenges that are before us right now. But Lord, in the face of it all, we give this year to you. We dedicate it to you, Lord. You have first given it to us and now we give it back to you. We commend our lives into your care, praying in the strong and mighty name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.
Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at theychurch.org.